five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be fighting for mail today against the giant evil Google and YouTube. Anyway, but before we do, let's get over to the fun. And uh, August, as you all know, is is National Rum Month. And so we're going to be covering what Pepsi's doing to try to break through the traditional rum and coke order, <laughs> which I quit drinking when I was in high school. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. But back in those days, 18 was the drinking age. <laughs> and uh, I started playing piano in bars at 17. So, you know, you can't drink that many sweet drinks. you got to drink something more, you know straight bourbon <laughs> and straight scotch by the time I was in college. Uh, anyway, what am I talking about? I don't know why I'm talking about this, but anyway, let's watch this commercial. This is part of the uh, part of the fun with Pepsi did to show that they tasted better. I don't know if this really proves it. But this guy pulls into a parking lot at a this was a thing as usual what do i know right about about much of anything about fast food and about pepsi and about tv ads i uh, but that said pepsi proves it goes better with rum than coke in the latest hidden logo ads now what i thought was going on i guess it's a you boomer but anyway ahead of national rum month i thought you know you can't put booze on all media, right? It doesn't. It isn't allowed on TV and other things. So on network TV. So I see this ad and I'm thinking, oh, I can see the logo. It's Bacardi. <laughs> That's not what it's about. It's about how they and they've been doing this for two years now, and I'm just catching up on it. Okay, better with and what they did was they found a place on the Bacardi logo. That you could take a Bacardi napkin or something and you could fold it and you could get. See this right here? This is like the Pepsi logo, that circle right there. See, better with Pepsi. And I watched a two-minute other spot that I'm not going to make you suffer through where they got a, a uh, they got an origami artist to try to figure this out and make these logos out of other people's logos. And uh, this started in May of 2021. Uh, but they said... Even just on the pure uh, taste of rum and coke, Pepsi beat rum and coke in blind taste tests. They didn't say how many people they used. But they said 56% of participants preferred the flavors of, of a rum and Pepsi 
over a rum and coke. But I, somehow I just don't think I'd have the guts to say rum and Pepsi. <laughs> it sounds it sounds too foo-foo, which a rum and coke is kind of, a, in my opinion, <laughs> a, a drink that people who don't like liquor drink to hide the taste. So what the difference? <laughs> it's like... But in honor of National Rum Month, I'm going to try making margaritas with rum. I'm going to get some rum, and I'm going to... Uh, one thing I know is you can get rum. It's very can be very inexpensive. <laughs> right now, I'm making margaritas with Thompson uh, whiskey. <laughs> because uh, you probably don't know this, but the history of the margarita actually derives from the daisy, which was a mid-19th century drink popular especially in the south before the civil war and those were made with bourbon i believe and um it morphed into the tom collins and the streetcar and the whiskey sour but in mexico they say someone invented the tequila version uh margarita does mean daisy in spanish so if you want to stump a bartender ask him for a daisy um, but since you can make a margarita with whiskey, I'm sure you can make it with rum. It might be better. I just, <laughs> if you don't put the, if you don't put the, the alcohol in it, it doesn't pour. It, it doesn't drink. It just freezes up like a, like a snow cone. Now you're learning so much here today. Okay. So people order rum and Coke out of conformity rather than taste. Yeah. Well, how often am I going to have two of them right in front of me? to test it. Remember split testing? Split testing is key, according to Todd Kaplan, right? The data shows that people actually prefer the taste of rum and Pepsi, right? But how would you order it, like I said? In most bars, I don't think they have a choice. If you ask for a rum and Coke and they only have Pepsi, you'll get rum and Pepsi and you won't probably know the difference. Okay, so they've been doing this Pepsi better with Pepsi yet. This, you can't really see it, but these look like the Bacardi ads, but they also have they also have and Captain Morgan, uh, but they also have as yeah, Captain Morgan is Bacardi. This is Captain Morgan, but they also have a whole bunch with Burger King. But uh, Kaplan also said that uh, oh this was good. No artificial intelligence or digital tools were used to produce the the photos, and no artificial intelligence is being used in this show, as far as I know. This is really me. Proof of life, which reminds me we should go over to the chats. I've been getting a lot of reposts, which I really appreciate. It seems to really, really boost the viewership. So if you care about mail and you don't feel like joining the WDMA and supporting us financially, which we could use, at least repost it if you like it. Don't just hit like. You can hit like too. But hit the repost button. You don't have to say anything. Just poop right up there. And it seems like, it seems like especially within the first hour or two, if I get some reposts, then I get way more viewership uh, or whatever impressions are. Anyway, so Pepsi's dumping that logo anyway uh, after all of this acclaim of this sh of this campaign. And they're going to back to the just the plain old circle. Uh, I don't know. You know, that's nice. Okay, so now we're going to go on to the Google ad fraud case. Google was reporting their own metrics, according to Dr. Augustine Fu, my friend. The advertisers should no longer accept and should, in fact, violently reject and ask for their money back because they paid for a complete sham. 
And uh, Danielle Deloro says that because they could was the most explanation, most common explanation, according to Sean Cunningham. We're going to go over his article in a second. And uh, even though Dr. Augustine Fu, Bob Hoffman, and more, myself, of course, have rung the alarm bell, many agencies and marketers just accepted that me, that digital was just like TV with the badges, verifications, and certification without the TV-level transparency or scrutiny. So we get over to the ad scandal, and what was going on, to summarize it, is that Google was taking, did they really burn 1,100 major advertisers over three years with useless non-ads in really bad places and counted it all as premium inventory? And allow advertisers to ask the much bigger question, why would any ad seller do that? Okay, and I don't think he really has a good answer here. Uh, this is Sean Cunningham. And uh, because there's more to it than this. And I learned this from listening to Dr. Fu. And the answer is that when you when you used to try to buy TV advertising, let's say it was right before the presidential campaign, but let's say you had a soft drink like a cola and you and one of the can and one of the leading front runners liked your cola. So you decided you were going to advertise on the eve of the election to, ca to capitalize on this cola campaign synergy. Well, you, you start to try to buy ads and you find out that they're all sucked up because on a, on a TV station, you can only run one ad at a time on a channel right and so you find out and they're they're hugely expensive right before the campaign ends and so you say oh well what can we get and it turns out you can only get off station spots in two in the morning kind of places and uh the the point is is that there's a limited amount of ads available when the super bowl goes on sale it sells out why because there's a limited number of ads on the super bowl and the best slots go first right well google has always kind of and andrew ettinger makes a big deal about this no matter how much more you want to buy google is scalable google always has more to sell how is that possible is it possible no it's not possible the only way Google can sell it is to pretend that they're selling you the primetime spots when they're really selling you the off-station, low-viewership, middle-of-the-night spots. But you can't tell the difference because you don't know what's going on. Or they sell you an ad behind an ad. They double up the ads or off to the side of the page where, you can't, where people don't even see it. But guess what? And this is the magic of digital advertising. The magic is they can still put a cookie on your computer, you Mr. Consumer. And when you go over to Land's End, they can say, oh, yeah, we drove that sale. We, we drove that click. We can see that they went to because we dropped a first party cookie on it from Google or whatever or from Land's End because that was your ad. We dropped that cookie. And when they went to your site, we get credit for that order, even though the consumer never even saw it. So if they can spread out the cookies far enough, they're going to get credit attribution, even though no one sees it. And there is no causal force to that. And that is what you should keep in mind when you think digital is the answer to everything and you're generating names so inexpensively. Okay, It's fraud. 
basic fraud. And then the rest of the article is great. But let's get over to the power of direct mail by Mike Uzo, Izzo. Okay, and Mike's at Gunderson. And Mike does a lot of reposting. I like when Mike reposts. That's good. Um, and Gunderson supports us also, which is double good. Okay, so he quotes the 5.3% for a uh, house file that you can you can get a lot of um, <laughs> you can get a lot of action out of direct mail. I don't think that's really the best reason to use mail, but he mentions a testing frame of mind. Not every piece of direct mail will be a home run, but that's part of the learning process, and this is why we're not the direct mail association. We're the Wisconsin Direct Marketing Association. We had a great roundtable on Wednesday, wonderful conversation about Donnelly and about, uh, <laughs> I think it's LDS or LSD or something, Donnelly, the old Donnelly where we all used to print, <laughs> and uh, what was Quad thinking, and, and a lot of very good conversation. It's too bad Quad wasn't there. <laughs> But they don't really support the WDMA, and I didn't get any feedback from the several people I sent connection invitations to at Quad. I'll tag them in here again. I don't think they pay any attention. They know everything. But anyway, uh, and I've tried to help them for decades. I went to the first Quad plant in 1978 and got a tour. have been amazed ever since. But anyway, we talked about the Hartford plant and the Lamira plant and... Uh, and there's a plant up in Baraboo. I don't know if it's still there. I think they might have sold that one off. Um, but it was a very, very uh, lively conversation. And um, and one of the participants said they were bringing the photography back in-house after using Quad for a while, it seems like. They're, well, it was it was two of them that were a healthy percentage. Okay, so not every part, piece of direct mail will be a home run. What is the learning process? Well, here it is. And yesterday, I highly recommend you go back to yesterday's post because there I gave an explanation of predictive. In order to do predictive modeling, we need to form theories about what causes what. Okay? If you put a, a baby picture in the ad, there'll be more, there'll be more emotional connection. Right? But will they connect with your, with your brand? don't know we'll have to see you know but there is that there is scientific repeatable testing that says that that people respond to smiling babies and actually babies with larger foreheads isn't that weird I don't know why but it, it uh, it's a, it's actually a thing um, and so you know there there are scientific things that you can hear about advertising scientificadvertising.com Claude Hopkins book is available for four dollars over there Highly recommend that every advertising person in the industry should read it probably once a year. Uh, I got the audio book, which is also available. I think that's $10 for a big collection. But what's mail about? Why is mail different? Mail is different because unlike Google, which we talked about, with mail, we not only know who bought from our mailing piece because we can connect it to back to the address list that we mail okay we don't have to just assume that because they had a cookie that was the main causal force we can say well what about did, were they on that mailing list did they get a piece of mail right before that order and we can track that independent of digital that's important 
Okay, but also, and this is even more important, also we can see who received the mailing piece, made a decision, and in order to make the decision, engage with the piece, read at least the indicia where it said, you know, <laughs> scam, postal, <laughs> ad mail or whatever, you know, however they made the decision. And we can then look at the differences between those who engaged and didn't buy and those who engaged and did buy. And those variables make us smarter, faster. We can even use machine learning in order to make the heuristic process flow faster, which is why direct marketing coupled with mail will give you the most definitive answers about what your market is trying to tell you, much more so than the walled gardens, much more so than the mass media. But really, I mean, think about a billboard. You know, you know cars are going by. Who's in there? Who's paying attention? You don't know, right? You don't know who engaged and decided not to respond. And you really don't know who engaged and decided to pull in to your, to your uh, fast food restaurant or whatever. So mail, uh, Mike is right, mail gives you the opportunity for iterative learning like no other, like no other media, period. No exceptions. But in order for that to work, it's not just a process of, it's not just a learning process where we try something and we try something else and we try something else. We can actually isolate causal variables, okay? And that's why working with somebody like Gunderson is important because hopefully they can set up scientifically valid experiments meant to isolate the variables that your hypothesis, remember, you have to observation, then hypothesis, then testing, Okay, they can set up the experiment that will give you an explanation and give you the incremental increase in profitability or response rate or sales per piece or whatever you're looking for. Uh, but it can measure that incrementally, people who ma got mailed, people who didn't get mailed, and the, and the A-B splits. Typically, we have a control, a test, and maybe even a holdout all at the same time. Okay? And for that, you need to mail more than a few, and you need to repeat the process. And that is the scientific method. So, though Mike says, keep on throwing until you hit the target, I would recommend that instead, you work with somebody like, like Gunderson, you know. He's, you know, he's just trying to make it simple for people. I understand that. And, and he has a word limit, and I don't. But anyway, so, it's not just, oh my gosh. Look at this. 76% of consumers sort through their physical mail as soon as they receive it and they make a decision. Nobody says this. Mike, let's write another article. Let's write it together. Let's write about the distinctives of mail that are totally unique and how it applies to direct marketing, not just how it applies to mail. Have a great day. Like and repost. It does wonders. I can't believe what it does. And uh, we just get more and more impressions. What the heck is an impression? I don't know but at least it's going up. It's up 1,600% year over year. What do you know? So thank you for, your, for watching. Thank you for your comments. I always appreciate and try to get back to you. Bye-bye.